Can you envision anything more ignorant than signing on, sitting in front of this microphone, and cutting up Casey DeSmith after a 52-save shutout? I'm sure there must be something, but I can't quite think of it. Good morning to you. Good Friday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. It comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. And I'm into both. You can also follow my Daily Shots of Steelers and Pirates right where you found this. Penguins four, Bruins nothing. Jake Gensel with the hat trick. Jason Zucker with the other goal. Generally a really, really good showing. Fresh legs found all around, which was really encouraging after the four-day break that they all just had. And yet nothing was a bigger deal on this night than DeSmith and his 52 saves, and his shutout, and oh, by the way, the fact that he started at all. That, of course, had become known after the morning skate, when Mike Sullivan announced that it would be DeSmith, and not Louis Deming who would be starting, while also acknowledging that Deming is going to get to see at least some action out of the final five games. It was five at the time that he was speaking. But then when you look at the schedule and you see that there are back-to-backs this coming weekend in Detroit and then in Philadelphia against two teams that are the lowest of the low in the Eastern Conference, you realize then that all that's going to happen here is that Louis going to get one of those two and basically serve as a mop-up so that DeSmith doesn't have to go on back-to-back days. And that's it. The decision was made. And for all intents and purposes, let's not kid anyone. It was sealed last night. Now, you're waiting for me to say something bad about this, right? Well, maybe, maybe I'll get to that. But first, a tap of the stick here, multiple taps of the stick to DeSmith for stepping up when he knew that had he not, meaning had he faltered, nearly Everyone, possibly even including the guys on his own bench, would have thought, hey, why don't we see what the other guy can do? So, you know, full credit to DeSmith for performing the way he did. Here's some of what Sullivan had to say about DeSmith's performance after the game. You know, when you become the starting goalie and you get, you know, the majority of the uh, the starts, um, you know, you, you you bear a certain burden of responsibility that um, that goes with that role, and so to have the opportunity to do that in Wilkes um, is, I think, a, a great learning experience for any young goalie. And so I'm sure that Casey has benefited that in, in so many ways. And here, in turn, is some of what DeSmith had to say about his own performance. Yeah, I mean, I I felt like uh, you know I'm up to the task, so. Um, obviously, 52 safe shutout always builds the confidence a little bit, um, you know. But coming into this game, I I, th- I felt like I was prepared. I've uh, been working for this moment for for a long time to step in there in case something happened to Jars, and I'm just happy to help the team get some wins. So wonderful, right? Awesome. 
That's it. The situation's been resolved. This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where they're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across western Pennsylvania. They, in turn, need your help. Find out how $1 can be turned into five full meals for those in need. Visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. My friend Steve Blass, the former great pitcher of the Pirates, a former great broadcaster as well, has a ton of great lines and great terminology to go with all his other greatness. And one of my favorites of Steve's is the term four-loss win. What this means is in baseball, if a pitcher who's not very good goes out and pitches great for one start, the manager's going to feel tempted to leave him in the rotation for a while and not overreact. So the guy goes out and then loses the next four starts he makes. Beware of the four-loss win. It would be tremendous. It would be a godsend for this franchise with its star players. Most of them, anyway. Jake is very much a star player at this point. In their mid-30s, for DeSmith to be able to come in and knock off whichever first-round powerhouse the Penguins are going to align against. Maybe, depending on how all this shakes out, and pretty much all of it's up in the air in terms of uh, numerical seeding, maybe it'll be the Panthers, maybe it'll be the Hurricanes, maybe it'll be the Rangers. Those are the three most likely possibilities, and yeah, go ahead and cringe. Cringe three times over, because any of the three is going to enter this series as a marked overdog. And all three will do so in large part because of their ability to score. They don't just attack. They don't just cycle. They don't just forecheck. They finish. All three of them. And no matter who they line up against, they're going to have chances and they're going to finish them. They're going to score a lot of goals. There is no team that's going to shut them down defensively. I would say maybe the Rangers you could shut down, except that the Rangers were the Penguins' very worst matchup. So if someone's shutting them down, it's going to be someone else, not the Penguins. And the Panthers and the Hurricanes are just going to score a lot. Hockey's changed a lot over the past century, but it hasn't changed that much to where the following isn't still true. The best way to generate an upset in the playoffs is to have your goaltender play out of his freaking mind. With all due respect, and I mean that, to what DeSmith did last night against the Bruins, the Bruins aren't those other three teams, and DeSmith didn't have to be out of his freaking mind to pull it off. Tristan Jari showed what that level looked like through the regular season. It would have been reasonable and fair to believe that he would have overcome whatever it was 
that was boogeymanning him last spring against the Islanders, and that he'd have been able to find that form against any of these three teams and give his team a chance, which still wouldn't have made the Penguins an overdog to the other team's underdog. It still would have required a whole lot of other things to go extremely well. Kind of like that power play did last night. Wow. So I thought it would have been a reasonable thing for Sullivan and his coaching staff to give Louie a real look. They didn't. And I did correctly predict that they wouldn't. Because the precedent's been in place for a while now, for a long while, that Sullivan will stick by his guys. That's why the Wilkes-Barre kids didn't really get a chance at all this year, even though someone like a Drew O'Connor would easily, I believe, be able to outperform Kasperi Kapanen, just as one example. And this, undoubtedly, is also why they have decided on DeSmith to be their goaltender with whom they will place their season and the franchise's future and the core's future, maybe even their own future, who knows, without even taking a look at the other option that just showed up. When we come back, just one question. And today's J1Q comes from Ralph, who asks, When Sid and Gino were out in the beginning of the season, this team played smart, desperate, defensive, in-your-face hockey. They continued to do so when Sid came back. They seemed to have lost that style right after Gino came back. What happened, and can they get back to that style of in-your-face hockey? <sighs> Ralph, I value every listener that I have especially those who reach out with J1Qs. And I make every attempt to be respectful and to answer in a way that is based on fact, even though it'll emerge housed within my opinion. But no, my man, no. Just no, no, no. This is... Something that goes around on Pittsburgh talk radio, principally from people who don't know or even care about the sport, and then it gets parroted. It gets parroted. I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm talking about the systematic way that something like this catches fire. You don't even know where it ends up having its previous stop before it gets to you. But it sounds really good, and it dovetails with whatever you'll remember of the last bad thing that Gino did on the ice, and those can stand out. He'll make some whoppers when he makes mistakes. But your timeline, the one that you offered, not to let you off the hook here, is just wrong. When Gino came back, the Penguins were playing out of their minds. They didn't lose for like a month. And through most of that, 
Gino was their best player, not just with the goals and the assists that he was getting, but he was, in fact, diligent over all 200 feet of ice. I was there. You were there. Everyone saw it. Everyone talked about it at the time. But team goes into a little bit of a funk and starts not looking so great. Gino's body language tends to advertise when things aren't going great. And someone or multiple someones will lean back on the lazy and inaccurate narrative. And then, worst of all, the Penguins will perform as thoroughly as they did last night against a playoff caliber opponent. And Gino wasn't there, so obviously this just means they played great because Gino wasn't around. Gino's going to come back this weekend. Actually, his suspension ends now, so he'll partake in both the Detroit and the Philadelphia games. And those will probably go well. Maybe they won't. Who knows? They'll be really sloppy because you're playing two teams that will just throw all caution to the wind. And anybody who's participated in hockey at any level at any point in their lives will know exactly what I mean when I say that messes you up more than anything. You'd much rather play teams that are in some kind of structure than you would saying, hey, whatever, man, let's send three people to the far blue line and just try home run passes all night. And then that'll get blamed on Geno's return. Or if the Penguins destroy the Red Wings again the way they did the last time they met in Pittsburgh, that'll just be because they stink and Geno came back at a lucky time. This narrative has almost, not completely, but almost no basis. In fact, it has no statistical support. It has no anecdotal support. Now, listen, you know, the playoffs are a clean slate for everybody from the team standpoint and from the individual standpoint. And if Geno stinks in the playoffs, if Geno is a turnover machine, if Geno looks lazy or uninspired or whatever it is that happens to him occasionally when he's not scoring, I'll be first in line criticizing him. But it won't be because of some kind of narrative. It'll be because of something that's actually happening right out there on the ice. I appreciate the question. I do, and I hope you take my response with the respect that's intended and with my gratitude for listening to the show and for sending in the J1Q. I mean that, Ralph. And I appreciate everyone listening to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll be back with another one on Monday. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.